Welcome to church. You having a good time? All right. Yeah, good to see you guys. Can we get the house lights? Oh, they're coming on. I want to see all your beautiful faces because I know everybody on Sunday does their best to look like you don't wear only uh, sweatpants and socks and Birkenstocks the rest of the week. Uh, but hey, no problem if you do. So good to see you guys today. So excited to be back to our summer blockbusters series. How many of you were here last year for summer blockbusters? Yeah, anybody make it last year? Awesome. Like four people, that's cool. The rest of you are liars. But anyways, uh, so cool. We, we loved doing that last year. Had such a good time and wanted to come back bigger than ever, better than ever. How many of you liked that we get to use the movie screen? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Pretty awesome. Uh, and what we're doing in this series is we're taking five awesome movies and unpacking the story, unpacking the message from that movie and seeing how a message connects with God's word and the scriptures and speaks to us. And I love this because Hollywood is full of some of the best storytellers, whether it's your movies or TV shows, some of the best storytellers that we have in our culture. And what's awesome about that is there's themes through all these movies that really connect with the deep things of our heart and the deep issues of life. And so we're going to bring, and you go, how do you connect that with dinosaurs eating each other? Believe me, it connects. And I'll show you in just a second. But there's, there's such an ability to, to take those two things and bring them together and allow God to speak to us. So we're having fun watching movies. We're having fun eating popcorn. You got popcorn today? Awesome. The only rule I've got for you is don't throw it at me. If you, you know, you can enjoy it in your seat, but don't heckle the pastor and throw popcorn or anything like that. Unless you happen to make it in my mouth and then we're okay. But uh, we're having a great time, having a blast, watching movies, eating popcorn. But I believe God also is going to speak to us today, even through everything we saw, what he's going to share with us in his word. And so we're going to jump in. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Say, come on, Pastor Jake, let's go. You got to say it with an accent like I just did. Let's go. All right, you're coming along. How many think we should make this the easiest church in the world to preach at? Like, not just for me. But I mean, for me too, but for others that come and speak, just, you can, you can just shout back. You can say, come on, pastor, go, go, right? It's like cheering on the ducks, like score a touchdown. You can do it. All right, let's go. Let's go. So we're going to jump into James chapter one, verse 13. And we're going to look at this. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Participation prize. Everybody gets a gold star. All right. It says in the book of James chapter one, verse 13. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Father, I pray right now today as we engage with your word and we look into the scriptures, Lord, that we would be changed and we would be challenged today. God, even as we're having a blast watching movies and laughing and eating popcorn and having a great time in your house, Lord, and with our fellow brothers and sisters and all of our friends and family here today. Lord, I pray that, God, we wouldn't just treat this as another Sunday, just a religious experience or a religious moment, but that, Lord, we would say, let your word penetrate our heart. Let it, let it show us what's going on in our lives. Let it lead us to what you want us to to do. Let it lead us to who you want us to become. And I pray, Lord, that not one person would leave this theater today the same as they walked in, but would be changed, challenged, transformed by your word. We open our hearts and say, God, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So James is the brother of Jesus. In case you didn't know that, G- James was actually Jesus' brother. Uh, he was Joseph and Mary's son. And it's pretty phenomenal to me that James uh, is actually attesting to Jesus. Like that's just something that proves how the reality of Jesus, right? If your brother is like calling you on the phone, you know, right now, I'm just messing with you. (laughs) Sorry, I'm having fun today. I've had a lot of coffee. Um, If your brother is standing up for you saying, I believe he's the son of God, like you got somebody in your corner, right? So this is who's writing these words. And James is describing a progression, describing a progression of what sin does, where it starts small, but it gets bigger and it grows and eventually it gets out of control. And so James is talking about this whole process, the slippery slide of sin. It's the same thing we saw in this movie clip where we think, hey, we have this good intention, we have a plan, and we're going to go ahead and create something or start something, but we can control it. Come on. And then what happens? As it grows, as it gets fed, all of a sudden what we intended to happen doesn't happen. And all of a sudden that thing that started really small that we thought could be, we could control, that we thought we could handle it sort of gets out of hand. And that's what we see in the movie with this creature, Indomitus Rex, that these people are thinking, hey, we can make it bigger. We can make it badder. We can make it meaner. We can have it sponsored by Verizon Wireless, right? <laughs> I love that scene where the guy has the t-shirt. I mean, that's so good. How many of you like remember the original Jurassic Park? My 10th birthday was Jurassic Park, 1994. And uh, boom, that was like the, the year Jurassic Park came out and it just blew my mind. Dinosaurs on, t- on the screen. And he has that shirt. I love that part. It doesn't have anything to do with the message. I just wanted to tell you I liked it. <laughs> but James is talking about a similar slippery slide like they get into in the movie. They think they can make this thing and they can, they can do more and make it better and bigger and badder and meaner and that they can control it. But what happens is it ends up getting out of control and it ends up becoming a problem. And James is talking about this same slippery slide of sin. He says, temptation does not come from God. It comes from our own desires. Somebody once said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. Comes from our own heart. It, it, here's something interesting. I think a lot of times we think of temptation, we think it's always illicit or wrong or bad, but actually a lot of temptation starts with a good intention. You want to do the right thing or you have a good desire, even a God desire, a godly desire inside of you that gets corrupted and twisted and all of a sudden you find yourself at the end of a road that you never intended to be on. There's a well-known axiom or proverb that says the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You see, nobody starts off and says, well, we're going to make a dinosaur that will eat people. That's not what they were trying to do. They were trying to maximize profits. They were trying to maximize enjoyment. And anytime in our life, we might start with a certain desire and it might even be a good desire, but when we give it, when we vent it out in the wrong way, what it ends up doing is becoming sin And what James tells us is that this slippery slide of sin, it gives birth to sinful action. And when it's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. It's like, you know how this movie is going to end every time. But yet we think, no, I can dance with the devil in the seven sided ring of fire and not get burned. (laughs) It's not true. We think I can, I can play by the edge and I won't fall. I can, I can go into this thing and, and nothing's going to happen. And the scripture says, no, look, it's not, it's not that God doesn't like you or, or that you're not a good person or any, anything like that. It's that, that when you start this sin thing in seed form, you're not going to like the tree that grows up. Come on, somebody. When you start going down this path, 
you're going to end up in a place you never wanted to be. And that's what James is talking about. Now, he doesn't leave us there. He talks about the goodness of God, and we'll get there in a few moments. But I want to talk about this slippery slide of sin, because how many of you have ever, and just be honest with me by raising of hands, participation award here. How many of you have ever seen something get out of control in your life like me? And, and you didn't necessarily think like, gee, I sure hope this sin takes over my life. I sure hope I get totally dependent on, this, on these chemicals. I sure hope that my marriage dissolves because I can't stop hooking up and hanging out with people I shouldn't be with. Oh, I sure hope, come on somebody, talking about the real world. Nobody starts there, right? James talks about this and we, we, we get to this place. We think we're in control. We think we can keep it small, but it gets out of hand. When I was a kid, I had an experience that was very much like this. A lot of experiences like this, things getting out of hand as a kid. But I was maybe, uh, you know, 10 years old or so. And I remember I got a hold of some black cat firecrackers. Fourth of July, right? How many of you know you don't love America if you don't blow stuff up (laughs) this week? You might as well move to, you know, somewhere else if you're not going to blow something up. I'm playing with you. All right. But I had black cat firecrackers and I don't know how I got them, but I got them. And, you know, being at the intellectual level that I was at, this high cognition uh, place, uh, I decided that I was going to use these firecrackers in a movie set that I was creating. Because at the time, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And I've had a lot of hobbies through my life. My wife can attest to this. And I kind of have gone through them. And I had a phase where I got a camera, a movie camera, and I thought, I'm going to create cinema, a film, right? (laughs) And I was going to create movies. And so I got my army men. How many of you remember green army men? That's, you don't need another toy. All these kids are playing with lasers and augmented reality. Like you need to get some green army men. Literally, you can defend a castle with those green army men. Not because the army men fight. It's because if people step on them, they just give up at that point. You know what I mean? Legos and those army men and you can defend anything. I mean, we could put that around a bank. All the robbers would just be like, oh man, right? So anyways, I had my green army men. I had my black cat firecrackers and I had horrible parents. <laughs> so uh, those three things together. But I had my firecrackers, my army men, and I go out into this field in front of our house. We had about an acre of land and it was all this dry grass. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I saw nothing wrong with this at the time. I thought I was in control. <laughs> and I set up my scene. I get my army men and their Jeeps and I have this little this like hut that looked like Nam, you know, it looked like Vietnam or something. And, and I'm like getting my army men there and there's all these tufts of grass. And I think to myself, this is going to look awesome because I'm going to light this fuse and I'll get my camera and I'll light the fuse and it'll go through here and that fire will go through the, the grass. And when it hits the, hits the firecrackers, it's going to explode and I'll catch it on film and I'll be making the next Rambo. There wasn't even YouTube at this point in time. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know who I was going to market this to. But I decide to do this. And so I have this fuse and I kind of, sorry, kids, close your ears, but I don't want to teach your kids how to blow stuff up. But you can actually like elongate the fuse by winding fuses together. And yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. This girl who's like nodding like, yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> Of course I know how to do that. Everybody knows how to blow stuff up. Anyways, so I, I, I wrap this fuse and I get it going about, I don't know, five or six feet to give myself enough time to get back to my Steven Spielberg stance. And so I light it and I don't look at it because I have to get back to get the shot because art. And so I light it and I run back and I get the camera and I go down and I I see it sort of smoking as it weaves through the grass. And you know how those little little alarm bells start going off in the back of your head, but you just sort of ignore it because you're, you're doing something. 
you know, you, you, you intend, there's good intentions happening and you're excited about what's going on. And so I'm watching it and it's smoking a little bit and it gets and all of a sudden crack, crack, pop, 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 pop. And it's going off and army men are blowing apart. Ah, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I was, in, I was the kid, the, the bad kid from Toy Story, just in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> Sid, right? <laughs> that was me. So I'm blowing these army men up. I'm getting my shot. And I, and I realize I get the shot. It wasn't very good, just to let you know. It's not going to be like the fourth week of summer blockbusters. And, uh, and I realize, oh, snap, I lit a fire. And all that dry grass that the fuse had weaved through and all the explosions and body parts of green army men everywhere. In the midst of this, I'm in this field of about an acre of dry grass and I see my parents' house right behind and now there's a fire starting and I realize I'm not in control of this anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I didn't start thinking I'm going to light a fire and burn down a field and burn my parents' house down. I was still paying off the broken motorhome glass that I shot out with my BB gun. Allegedly. Because I think I was shooting the other direction, but apparently when one kid in the neighborhood has a BB gun, it's his fault when everybody's window gets shot out BB. Anyways, we're not going to go into that. I was still paying that off, and here's this fire now starting, and I see my parents' house, you know, right behind it, and I'm like, oh no, and so I just immediately jump in action and start kicking the, the, the piles and everything, and I'm happy to say I was able to get it back under control and put out the fire but it went out of control and it was freaky. It was scary. And isn't that exactly how sin works in our life? We start off and we're like, I think this is a pretty good idea. I think that this is going to work out. I think that, that, you know, lighting these firecrackers is really going to do it for me. It's going to help me in my life in some way, whatever that is. The problem is though, that the scriptures give us wisdom. It gives us a prophetic warning when it says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, when you make a transaction with sin, the payment is always going to come. And it's not that God is mad at you or God is like coming and like, well, you know, you did a bad thing and now I'm going to smoke you or something like that, that we think. No, God actually gives us a warning about sin. So we'll understand that when you transact in this, in this game, when you play it, this is what comes out every single time. It's like getting on a roller coaster. You're still going to do the same loop-de-loop -loop every time. It doesn't change. It's the same process, the same pathway. You can say, no, I'm different. No, this relationship's going to work. Well, no, not if it's based in sin. Come on, somebody. You're talking about sin. It's July, and I came to church, and he's talking about sin. See, it's like the movie. They, they make this dinosaur. They, they make this, this thing, and... They expect that they can control, but when it gets out of control, it starts eating people. And that's what sin does. You see, the wages of sin is death. It's not just physical death. I mean, we know sin actually creates physical death because of the fall that we were intended to live forever, how God made us, but sin cut that, severed that tie, and we were disconnected from eternal life, and we can be reconnected in Christ, which is the good news of the gospel. But sin brings physical death, but sin doesn't just bring physical death. It brings relational death. It kills your relationships. It kills your emotions. Come on, it deadens your conscience. It, it, it kills your, your mind. It breaks you mentally to where now you can't think the right way, how you're supposed to think. Your desires get twisted. Sin brings death in every aspect of our personhood and our being. The wages of sin is death. And the Bible communicates this to us. You see, sin is where we accept a lie that something will give us fulfillment apart from God. We were created to walk in relationship with God and one another. 
And sin is believing, you know what? I can find fulfillment. I can medicate my pain. I can, I can satisfy a desire, even a good desire, apart from God. And when we start believing in that lie, it leads us into this place of sin where even if it starts from a good desire, even if it starts small, it, if it's allowed to grow, it actually gives birth to death in our life. And this has been going on since the very, very beginning when Satan in the guise of a serpent whispers to Eve and says, hey, look at that fruit. Has God actually said? And he says, no, no, don't believe God. Believe me. You can find fulfillment. You can be satisfied apart from believing God. You can be satisfied. Just take a taste. It's really good. She goes, oh, it does look good. Oh, you're right. And it's not even a bad desire necessarily, but it starts to, it gets birthed and all of a sudden that thing starts to grow. And here we are thousands of years later and there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of fallenness that's taken place. When you look back into Genesis 3, you see the fall of man. We're still falling. I was talking to somebody recently and they were like lamenting how bad the world is. Oh, everything's so bad. Everything's so bad. I'm like, well, yeah, it is bad. It's been bad for a long time and it's going to keep being bad until Jesus comes back to, to make it right. The beautiful thing that we get to do as part of God's kingdom is to actually begin to usher in goodness and truth and beauty and resurrection life as ambassadors of God's kingdom, right? We're participating with God and making things right, but things are broken. Things are falling. Things aren't good. Anybody watch the news? There's war. There's rumors of war. There's hurt. There's people. There's divorce. There's kids without parents. There's drug addiction. There's all this brokenness, and we've all tasted it, and we've all contributed to it. And, and, it, and it starts from that small spot. And we think, I'm in control of it, but we're not. It gets out of control if we believe that we can find fulfillment apart from God. So what's the good news in this? Well, James goes on in the passage. He says, look, it's not just about this progression of sin. He wants us to understand, yeah, it starts small, but it grows and it brings death, but there's more to it than that. God, he says, don't be misled. Don't, don't think you can find fulfillment. But then he says, this is where you can find fulfillment. And listen to what he says. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our father. Everything good and right and beautiful about life comes from God. And that is God's intention. A lot of times people in a very misguided way, wanting to sort of maybe be religious or maybe even try to offer platitude or something will say, well, you know, I, I know you were diagnosed with cancer or this person abused you or hurt you or whatever, but it's all God's will. Wrong. That's bad theology. It is not the will of God that any child would be molested. It is not the will of God that any sickness would come and invade your body and kill you. It is not the will of God that the world would be broken and evil and fallen as it is. The will of God was in the Garden of Eden where man and God walked together in purity and in unity. And there wasn't power trampling upon the innocent and there wasn't brokenness. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching good right now. Give me some amens. All right, you got popcorn, so you feed it back to me. Let's go, right? God's will is for his kingdom to come and to be established in this world. God wants to restore and lift people up and set people free. Come on, guys. God's will is for people to be healthy and whole. So we're operating in this paradigm. We're operating in this uh, kind of looking through a split lens, this paradigm of living in a fallen world, but working as agents of subversive good and partnering with God to see his goodness come. But James tells us, look, you got to understand, if you get on this road of sin, it's going to lead to death. But if you participate with God, every good and perfect thing comes from him. And he's creating a contrast here for us to see. Jesus says this in a different way, but it's the same thing. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's the devil's three-step plan for your life. What's behind door number three, Satan? 
I'm gonna destroy you. What's behind door number two? It's like The Bachelor, but you never, you, you don't win. You know what I mean? It's not good. I don't watch The Bachelor, okay? I have better things to do. Just... But Jesus says, in contrast, my purpose is to give a rich and satisfying life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. In the original Greek, when you break this verse down, Jesus is saying life and life more abundantly. And he's saying, I came to give you life times two and he's actually talking about life beyond the biological, but life that transcends into the spiritual, the eternal, the life that fills you and overflows you and satisfies you. That, that God's plan for you is not to withhold things from you and hurt you and keep you back from your good desires. God's plan for you is to fulfill you. But he says, look, if you try to find that fulfillment outside of me, it, it doesn't end up good for you. It's not because God is like mad. I'm going to roast you if you do the wrong stuff. It's because he created you. He knows how you work and how you were designed to live. And you will find satisfaction in him. And that's the only place. You see, do you know, I let my wife down in our marriage. I'm proud to say I let my wife down every single day of our marriage. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, I do. I let her down every single day. I'm not always the right. I don't say the right stuff. She doesn't tell me I let her down every single day, but I know that I fail. Come on. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't always say the right thing. I'm not always th there in the right moment. I don't always help with the kids. Sometimes I pretend to be asleep when the kids are crying. <laughs> Sometimes she yells. I always pretend. I don't always get away with it. How about that? But you know what's so great? Is that if our relationship was based on my performance, we probably wouldn't be together. But our relationship isn't based on that. It's based on both of us finding fulfillment and satisfaction in Christ. If I was the candy for my wife to keep her in the relationship, things would be messed up. Come on. You know what? There's freedom when, when I realize my wife is finding her satisfaction. Yeah, I'm going to love her to the best of my abilities, but she finds her satisfaction in Christ. She's going to love me to the best of her abilities, but I find my satisfaction in Christ. And that's what gracious living looks like when we say God is my satisfier. He's the one that fulfills me in every aspect of my personhood. And I don't pursue things outside of him to find fulfillment. And then you begin to walk in life and life more abundantly. Life times two, a rich and satisfying life that God has for us. Let's go into three applications. I just want to give you three handlebars on this today and we'll move on and we'll, we'll beat all the other churches to the best restaurants because that's what Jesus would want. <laughs> You know, since I'm preaching right now and I'm going to go move on quick, but how many of you guys think we need a Chick-fil-A in Eugene? Amen. And they're not open on Sunday, so we wouldn't be able to go there on Sunday. But Monday we could be at Chick-fil-A. And you go, Pastor, what is, what's the point of this in the message? Nothing. I just, I like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Application. I want to give you three things. Number one, I want to encourage you to stamp out the small sins. The only reason I was able to not burn my parents' house down and burn the field and burn the neighborhood is because I got on it like Donkey Kong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I got, it was on like Donkey Kong. I jumped in there and I was kicking and stamping it out. Before that could get completely out of control, I was involved. I was, I was right there. Stamp out the small sins. I want you to ask this question. Where is the future Indomitus Rex in my life right now? You see, a lot of people, they have this really cute little salamander. He look at his little tongue sticks out. He's so cute. He's slimy, but I like it. Some of you weirdos that like to pet snakes and stuff. It's gross, you guys. This isn't like a nature show. You, you, you know, we have these little cute little things in our life. Oh, it's cute. Oh, it's cute. Look, look at it. It's so cute. 
it's, it, it's going to eat you. Do you see what I'm saying? Where in your life, where in my life are these future Indominus Rexes living, operating, hiding in the shadows? See, we don't, we don't really, it doesn't really trip our reaction wire until there's a threat. And that's why God has to speak to us through his word and say, listen, sin results in death. So it looks, it might look innocent and cute and harmless when it's small, but if you don't deal with it now, it can eat you. It will lead to death you're not going to play with fire and not get burned. It's going to go a way you didn't want it to go. And so we need to stamp out the small sins. Last night I was laying in bed at 11:30 or 12 and I'm reading my Kindle paper white, minding my own business in my own house and nature decided to invade my home, which if you know me, I don't like nature. And um, I consider the outside to be the space between air conditioned environments. And uh, I'm laying in bed and I feel something kind of like skitter right on my arm. The only thing I want skittering on me is a skittle. I don't want anything alive to skitter. And I kind of brush it off and I tell myself, brain, it's not what you think. Go to sleep. And then I feel something skitter along my side. And then that thing bit me. And it, it did. It bit me. It felt like somebody poked a needle into my side. And I, I let out a shriek. Ah, Bethany! <laughs> How many of you know a big, strong, brave man in the house? Bethany, save me! I joined the Vienna Boys Choir for about 10 seconds. Ah! So I'm there, and I get, I, and so I grab something, and I feel it, and I toss it down on the ground, and then I, I'm like, Bethany, something bit me. I turn the lights on, and I'm looking, and, and I turn the flashlight on, and sure enough, this little spider comes crawling around. I got bit by a spider laying in my bed. I didn't realize that there was something small until it became a threat, until it attacked me, I didn't realize. Now, I just want you to know I did end its life bravely. <laughs> so there's only like 75 trillion spiders left and we have a job to do. But um, some people in the back are like, don't kill spiders, they eat other animals. I know, I know. Anyways, we don't sometimes identify that something we need to get rid of it and get, uh, uh, get, get down to the nitty gritty, really get down to business with it until it assaults us, until it becomes activated against us, but it doesn't mean the threat wasn't there. See, that thing was lurking in the covers, lurking in the shadows, lurking in the corner. It was there in my life, in my bedroom. I didn't realize it was there until it did something to me. And I want you to think about this. What in my life is lurking out of sight? What is that thing that I, that I, I don't, it's not attacking me right now. It's not destroying my marriage. It's not actually pulling down my life and bringing me down but it could, there's potential. What is that small thing? We need to stamp those things out. Second thing I want to encourage us to do is to flee sin and pursue righteousness. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul writes to his spiritual son, he says, flee sin and pursue righteous living with, with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. And here's the thing, you can't do one or the other. They go together. You can't just flee sin. And you can't just pursue righteousness. These two things go together like peanut butter and jelly. These things are connected to flee sin and to pursue righteousness. You gotta be chasing after God and chasing after his purpose and plan for your life and actively running away from the things that, that are gonna, gonna get you, those, those sins that are lurking, that, those things that are in our heart. But it's a, it's a totally different type of a heart. And I'm gonna talk about this in the last point in just a second. But I wanna say this. If we have a looking for the line kind of a heart, we're not getting it. 
What do I mean by that? Well, we say, hey, where's the line? How far can I get? How close can I get to, to sin? How close can I get to finding fulfillment outside of God without being hurt, without being burned? Where's the line? And here's the thing. That's the wrong question. The apostle Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, don't look for the line. Run for God. Run from the line and run towards God. See, our lives should be this continual thing where we're chasing after God. And so there's, there's sin that tries to get to us, tries to, to bring us in our desires in this fallen world that are pulling us to the left, to the right, but we're pursuing God. We're chasing after him. We're pursuing righteousness and we're fleeing sin. It's not us looking for the line and trying to say, how close to the cliff edge can I get before I fall? Because that kind of a heart will always lead you to fall. And this is what I want to end with today. I'll leave you with this. Number three, the answer to all of this is that we need to fall more in love with Jesus. We need to fall more in love with Jesus. And maybe you're like, well, that sounds kind of like sappy and weird. And what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that if you don't replace in the place of affection in your life, in your heart, if there's not a burning passion and a desire for God and what he has for you, for the rich and satisfying life that he created you to live, if that is not at the center of who you are, you're gonna be living out what I call red button religion. Red button religion is this, don't push the red button. Don't push the red button. A lot of people have a Christianity, a, a Christian religion that is really, really dead because all it's about is what you're not allowed to do. And I just wanna tell you right now, that kind of a life is not fun because I've lived it for a long time. Red button religion, don't push the red button. And of course, what happens when somebody says, don't push the red button? You want to push it, don't you? You can't help it. That's what you're fixated on. And so if, if we live a life of red button religion where our life is all about, well, you know, sin leads to death. And I heard that in church. And so I got to get away from sin and run away from all the bad stuff. And, you know, I better not read any cuss words on Twitter because, oh my, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And if you grew up in church, you know that six inches, the six inch rule, like if you're five inches pregnancy, seven inches Holy Spirit, six inches is the line, right? In, in a guy and girl relationship, that was funnier than you give me credit for. But anyways, you know, you... There's all these standards and red buttons and there's tripwires everywhere and you touch this and you die and you touch that and you die. And if you do that, oh my, and all this kind of stuff. And that's not the life that God made you to live because that's red button religion. And the answer to this is you got to fall more in love with Jesus where he's what you want. Come on. So even when you sin, you're like, oh, it's not the taste I want because I've tasted and I've seen the goodness of God revealed to me through Jesus, that he has a rich and satisfying life for me, that even when it doesn't make sense and I pursue him, he continues to fill me up and bring me forward day by day. I'm talking about a, a real relationship with Jesus that you're walking and talking with him and working, he's working in your life and you're, you're participating in what he wants to do in the world. And it's this dynamic interactive relationship, not a dead red button religion, don't touch this, don't touch that kind of a thing. And the answer is what? To fall more in love with Jesus. You know, today in worship, I was just impressed and impacted by the Holy Spirit as we were enjoying the presence of God. When I get into worship, I, I think of it like if you've been as, as thirsty as you've ever been and then you get to a drinking fountain and you know you're just like, <laughs> you're just getting as much as you can, right? You're just going for it because you're thirsty. We should be like that in the time of worship. Come on, we're in the presence of God. What are we doing in here when we sing songs on Sunday? We're not just like singing songs. There's, I love our band, but man, we could go hear like a better band somewhere else. Like, you know what I'm saying? Maybe not. Sorry, guys. No, our band's awesome. <laughs> but if it was just about entertainment, you see what I'm saying? 
You could be doing a lot of things on a Sunday. We're not here to be entertained. We're here to encounter God. And so when we sing, we are recognizing and responding to who God is and what he's done. And I'm, I want to be like that person in worship that says, Jesus, I want to love you more. I want to know you more. I want to see you clearly. I want to pursue you in my life because I know that you have satisfaction and fulfillment for me. And I want to run from sin, but my life is not about running from sin. It's about pursuing Jesus, being in love with him, connecting what he, with what he has for me in my life. How many of you want to get away from red button religion today? We know that sin leads to death, but that's not the focal point. The focal point is on the life that God has for us. And that's the heart of the righteousness that God provides to us in Christ.